You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Benny and the Bets. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. It is Benny in the Bets, a special edition. This is part two of my conversation with my good friend Rick Camp, uh, the NBA player prop expert over at 4 for 4 and Betsperts. You can see his work uh, coming up this year at NBA Bet as well. Uh, hopefully you checked out his work over on our previous podcast going over week seven of the NFL. He's also the co-host of the I'm Fat podcast and uh, somebody that uh, I've always had an affinity for for talking betting with, but but also just if you, if you heard the conversation that, that Rick gave us uh, on the previous show um, about his affinity for, for barbecue, affinity for just the food world in general, um, they're sort of like the what's what's the expression of the white whale of guests for the I'm Fat podcast that you guys are trying to get into the onion ring of honor, Andy Reid. And uh, I, I just think right from the get go, Rick, like this, this has worked out really well. So I'm glad that you're back with us again. I, I'm glad that you're willing to have me again. Like, it finally feels like it's here. Like, there's been so much lead up for the NBA of waiting for Dame to get traded. What's going to happen with James Harden and all this stuff to where a lot of the markets were kind of held up a little bit for a while to the point where books kind of had to be like, screw it. We just got to put stuff out for basically everybody else that's not involved in these talks. But there's so much that's intertwined that uh, I'm just happy it's back. Like to, as someone that really grinds every day, especially in the prop world to, to have to kind of wade into more of the futures waters and look big picture instead of like crazy micro. The funny thing for me is I love living in those two extremes preseason futures. I always love and kind of tracking them and building a portfolio throughout the year, but then also the day-to-day individual matchups, you know, who are guys that are hitting a bunch of corner threes that are going against a team that likes to allow them? Like those are the types of things that I live for. So let's let's talk about sort of that strategic approach with props because I, I think especially when it comes to NBA betting, so much changes within an hour, hour and a half before tip off, sometimes even thirty minutes beforehand as well. So whatever grind you're in the midst of, a lot of that information can change at the drop of a hat. So curious to get your sort of outlook on when you're preparing to try and go ahead and, and find those mismatches, that value on the board, as well as maybe the sites and databases that you really feel offer the best information, whether they be free resources or not, where do you like to go and where do you like to start your process? Depending on the night, I might start when you get openers, like pretty much right when the right when the slate starts, I might be starting to look towards the next night. And at that point, unless there, I think part of it too is understanding when it comes to the injury aspect, what teams are more forthright, what players, player trends too of, okay, if this player is listed as questionable, let's say after morning shoot around, how, how often does he generally play versus someone else? So you may say like a Kawhi Leonard who's listed questionable. He's probably not going versus Joel Embiid last year who was like listed questionable for it felt like every game for the entire second half of the season and more often than not he was playing. 
So some of that is just, you know, the grind of kind of paying attention a little bit. But for a lot of that stuff, I do love the uh, underdog NBA account on social media. They're very good with, uh, you know, that's Justin Fan. That's his thing. So, like, he's he's one of the goats when it comes to that. So I really enjoy his content and how on top of all transactions and just what everything means. And then when I'm really looking for team profiles and how that affects certain matchups and certain players, I do. I really like cleaning the glass. Mm. So Ben Falk okay. started that. Ben Falk used to be in Sam Hinkie's front office in Philly. He had been in Portland as well. And his goal was essentially, let's bring a lot of these numbers that have a lot of acronyms and let's make them more easily digestible for everybody. And what I love about it, especially from a three-point prop perspective as a simple one, it's not just this team allows the most threes, this team takes the most threes. It's by above the break versus the corners. So that can make a huge difference based on what type of defense somebody's playing. If you remember before the Bucks won the title, they were they've always been under Budenholzer, they played a bunch of drop, but they would always allow all the corner threes to be taken, but not let anybody get a shot at the rim. Right. So you would and it was heavy extremes in both directions. So that would be, hey, guys that I know that are going to try and drive to the basket and that's their game, I'm probably going to be playing unders or just avoiding them that day. Where your spot-up shooters in the corner, maybe those are the guys that I'm playing overs on, whether it's points, whether it's three-pointers. Something along those lines of just having a basic idea of who fills what role on each team, and then understanding what each team allows and what each team doesn't, and then you can get into pace. And when I'm thinking sample size, like once you get a little bit of sample size into the season, last two weeks. I'm not looking any more than the last two weeks. Maybe if there's a specific player that is on a streak, I might look for the duration of said streak. Yes. And notate that, but way a little more of what's happened lately. And then that also can lead into rotations. If player A gets hurt, does that usage, does that role go straight to player B or does everybody change a little bit in what they do? So I know there's a lot of, aspects of it that all come down to basically being a nerd and watching a ton of basketball and reading a bunch of content. But if you can pay attention to underdog, look at cleaning the glass and then also anything that'll give you stats versus position. So Mm -hmm. those are things that I like looking at as well. That could just mean, and it could just be like in the NFL, it could be a pass funnel versus a run funnel. Maybe a team uh, has that like hashtag basketball.com is a place that I go for some positional stuff of, Hey, this team allows centers to get a bunch of rebounds, but they're really good against power forwards. Well, that could mean, you know, they have a smaller center. Like maybe that could maybe be something like the Spurs are this year. This is just a guess because when Manyama going to be playing the four, he's probably not going to be banging against a bunch of centers. That's going to be Zach Collins's job. So maybe fours against San Antonio are not doing well on the glass just because of the sheer height difference and athleticism difference with Victor Wembanyama. The other site that I would highly recommend, and it almost seems like, well, why why would I go there? Like, are they really going to give me detailed stats and, and information and break it down category by category? The NBA's own stats page is absolutely fantastic. And while we're on the subject of props, one of one of my favorite NBA props has been first quarter props. 
uh, because you can break it down home and away stats, um, determining first quarter pace even um, to see like which teams have, have gotten off to really fast starts, uh, which teams tend to play better. I remember, I think Atlanta was a top defensive rated team at home in the first quarter and on the road, they were one of the worst in the league. So for a long time, that was a trend that I was continuing to follow as well was, okay, Atlanta's got a home game. Are they playing a team that's top 10 in, in first quarter efficiency over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, let, let, let's go ahead and, and hammer that side or vice versa. And it's on the road. Um, you can really find a lot of those angles too. And the other thing I love about the first quarter plays is that more often than not, the books are going to go with that number purely based on overall spread. And so it's, if if uh, if the Bulls are a six-point favorite against the Jazz, um, I don't know why they would be, but let's say they are. In this particular scenario of the games in Chicago, you know, maybe you're getting Utah, who also got off to really good starts last year, at plus one and a half in the first quarter. So now all of a sudden, you're thinking, okay, Chicago got off to a bit of a slow start. Maybe Switch missed his first few shots of the game. And all of a sudden, Utah gets off to like a 10-2 lead. Billy Donovan's calling a timeout. And you're looking really nice with that first quarter play as well. So I, it's free. And some of those other sites that, that you mentioned, Rick, like they have stats that are available, but highly recommend to anybody that's just trying to get sort of their, their feet wet a little bit. The NBA.com stats page is fantastic. And I'm an idiot, and I can tell I'm I'm out of practice with it for not recommending that because two stats that I look at for individual props is when I'm looking at assists, it's not just the amount of assists, it's the potential assists that a player has that I look at. So I want to look at, okay, in the last 10 games, sure, this guy is averaging. I'm trying to think. There was someone last year who was a wing, who's not a primary ball handler, I wish I remember, I could remember off the top of my head who it was, had a crazy lucky streak in terms of just players converting his assist opportunities. So he was averaging like 5.3 assists a game and his line was usually around like three and a half or something like that. But he was only averaging like six potential assists a game, six and a half potential assists. So at that point, I know this the the shoe's going to drop at this at some point here, so I might be a little more conservative on that versus someone that might be getting those five point three assists, but they handle the ball a little bit more. And so I might also look at touch time. That's also something you can look up on the NBA stats site, and that could be useful in terms of turnovers as well. Uh, but in terms of assists, so if it's five point three on, like I always try and think of around fifty percent are going to get converted. Unless it's someone that has a horrific shooting team around them, like if it was Cade Cunningham maybe this year where Detroit has a little more shooting, but if, if uh, Asar Thompson's going to start, then that shooting isn't really on that first unit with Cade. Maybe I think that's going to convert it maybe more like a 45% versus someone who has a bunch of good shooting around them that maybe you know you can bank on or you just know, hey, this player plays a lot with this player who is a good shooter. So that's an opportunity. And the other one is rebounding chances. It's not just rebounds, but rebounding chances. And it's the same principle as potential assists, where you just want to know how often they're in the area and that they are the closest person to the ball because, and then you just have to know the player. Like Steven Adams, all of a sudden, when he wasn't with Russell Westbrook, has decided, I'm going to grab more rebounds for myself. And magically, he's averaging a boatload every game. So, you want to know who those guys are 
that not only are getting those opportunities, but that also somewhat knowing personalities because rebounds are as political of a stat as there is in the NBA because of players want to get their numbers. So they might be extra aggressive and in a wing crashing in to get a rebound from a big. So someone like Brooke Lopez might convert a lower percentage of his rebounding chances because he's kind of apathetic about it. He doesn't really care. You know, so like Steven Adams was with Russell Westbrook, if Middleton wants to come in or Giannis wants to come in and get that extra board, he's fine with that. Cool. Or you have guys like Rudy Gobert or Clint Capella that are very aggressive and that they know this is how my, my bread is buttered. I need a bunch of rebounds. Those are guys that are going to be a little more aggressive and they'll convert a higher percentage of those chances. All right. So let's let's start looking at some of these these future plays here. Um We'll start with the East, go over to the West, and then if there's any, um, you know, specific division plays or win totals that you like for any of these teams as well, uh, we can hit on those as well before getting into awards. So right now over at DraftKings, starting in, actually, I'm trying to, to, to find that number. Well, well, maybe we can kind of go inside and work our way out. Sure. So as far as favorites to win the NBA Finals this year. Over at DraftKings, you have the Celtics and the Bucks, both as co-favorites at 4-1. to one. Behind them is Denver, the reigning NBA champions at plus 550. Phoenix behind them at plus 650. Uh, and then you take a, a significant jump with the Lakers at 12-1, to one, Golden State at 13-1, to one, and the Clippers and 76ers at 18-1, to one, Mavs at 22, and then the Heat at 28. Cleveland, I'll, I'll I'll put them in the mix as well at, at thirty to one. Everyone else, I, I think, so many things have to go right. Sure. When we're looking at determining a play for an NBA champion, do you ever just because we we know how the league typically works, where more often than not you're not going to have that surprise team come down in a seven game series in the midst of the NBA Finals, but. If there is a team that maybe is a little bit lower than the favorites, who do you like and why? There's two that I feel like are fairly popular, but I do agree with them. And I feel like whoever this is has to come out of the West because the East is going to be tough with those two top teams, even though they are, you know, like if Boston, there's a lot of injury risk on Boston. And there is with the, with both of these teams, really, just the pure age of the Bucks roster. Chris Middleton, uh, it, you know, Dame's missed some time the last few years, even before, you know, they ask him to sit down because to tank the rest of the year. So Memphis is a team that I think is fascinating, and they're 30 to 1 over at DraftKings. The other one is, and this this one's kind of insane, but the number is at 70 to one for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I, I, I had a feeling that the Timberwolves were going to come up because I, I do want to get your perspective uh, on a different play involving Minnesota in a little bit. So why, why can a team like Minnesota, why can a team um, in, in this case, like Memphis uh, in the West make a run to be able to contend for a championship? I mean, Memphis has proven that they can be a top team, even with a bunch of crap going on with, uh, you know, with John Morant, with whatever else is going on. They have Marcus Smart. So between him and Desmond Bain, like there's a lot of ways you could you could handle this. If you want to just say, hey, I still think the Eastern Conference team is probably going to win, fine. Like it could be 18 to 1 to be the one seed. It could be 
the conference odds. It could be whatever, however you want to play that. If Memphis is going to be this good, even with 25 games without John Morant, maybe that's Desmond Bain most improved player. Like there's plenty of ways you can try and bet the same thing. There's an, a different award with them that I think is a longer shot that I think is kind of fun at the moment that we'll get to later. But they have, they've shown the ability, even without John Morant, to be good. They'll just be a different type of good. They won't be quite as explosive offensively, but they'll definitely be better defensively, especially now, even more so, that you have Marcus Smart in the mix as opposed to Ja, as opposed to Tyus Jones, who is just like, Tyus Jones is fine. He's just too small in terms of defense. So when you look at, at and just the depth that that roster has, there's a lot of talk about Zaire Williams. I don't know about that. But with Jaron Jackson Jr., Steven Adams is back and he can handle the boards. Like, I think they're a real interesting team and they're a team that still, even though they made the trade for Smart, they still have ammo to make another deal if they really want to. So I think they're a team with some upward mobility and they have plenty of options, even if Ja isn't your isn't as good as your normal best player on a champion, but that's also reflected in the odds. And with Minnesota, I, I think they just have a bunch of talent. Mike Conley is going to make a lot more sense than D'Angelo Russell. Anthony Edwards looks like he's about to take another leap. Is it win the title leap? I don't necessarily know. I love Jaden McDaniels. We will talk about him uh, in a minute because I, I guess I could just say this one right now. And it's a draft. It's something that I love that DraftKings has offered. All defensive first team. Jaden McDaniels is eleven to one. Mm. Eleven to one. And I think he might be the best wing defender in the league. I understand, like you don't have the positional requirements anymore. However, like trust me, whatever. But Sam Vecini from the Athletic and the Game Theory podcast is one of the best evaluators out there, and he said that he is going to be first team all defense this season, and he is eleven to one right now on DraftKings for that. So if you get Anthony Edwards running the offense, Carl Anthony Towns fitting better with Gobert, which obviously is a big old asterisk, but it is something there along with some of the depth that they have. And if, if they're even remotely better rebounding wise, that'll help their defense, which was still eighth last year. So I think they're a team, there may be more of a high floor team. And I don't know if the ceiling is quite there yet, but if things hit right, if McDaniels hits his potential, he's probably going to get a nine-figure extension before this year is out. Uh, and Anthony Edwards takes a leap, and Cat finds himself in this offense a little bit better. It's a lot of ifs, but that's a team that I think has a little more upward mobility than a lot of people want to give him credit for. Very, very interesting play on the all-defensive team at 11-1. If you feel like he takes even more of an enormous red, uh, enormous jump, in that category, you can get him for Defense Player of the Year at 50 to 1. That that might be a little bit more of an upward battle, especially with some of the names involved. Uh, one guy that I like, we'll talk about coming up on the other side as well. We'll also get into MVP. There's a, a new um, Clutch Player Award. There's going to be the MVP for the, the uh, tournament in Las Vegas this year. So like all crazy awards uh, that we'll get into. Plus... Um, I have a play for most improved player that I was able to lock in with a boost at 160 to one. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he could take it home. So I will ask Rick about it coming up next. Stay with us. Our NBA season preview here on Benny and the Bets presented by PXG. 
Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, Rick Camp from 4 for 4 is with us. You can also check out his work over the course of the NBA season on NBA Bet, as well as Bet Spurts. You can check him out as well with Jay Zawoski on the I'm Fat podcast as well. Um, the the daily grind uh, of the NBA prop season, as well as just um, you know solid plays, spreads, totals, money lines over the course of the year as well. But these awards are fascinating, Rick. So let, let's try to go through them um, as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let, do we start with rookie of the year? Um, I, I just don't look at it from a whole lot of value anymore. Um, Scoot was the guy that I liked, you know, early on, like right after the draft, I thought Brandon Miller initially at 16 to one presented some value. That's another guy that, that I took early on. Um, and he's going to get a ton of playing time, but I mean, is it, is it Webin Yama, Scoot, Henderson and, and, that's kind of it. Do you like anybody kind of outside that realm for this award? If Chet Holmgren puts up a defensive player of the year quality season, like he leads the league in blocks, uh, is incredibly efficient offensively because I don't think he's going to get a ton of individual opportunities because there's so many good scoring options on the Thunder. He has a chance. Like I think, but I think it's it's those three. If you really want to take a chance on somebody else. I would probably look at maybe Amon Thompson at about 40 to one, but I do question how much opportunity he's going to get with Houston saying that they want to win. So I think that's a, a question that I have, but if you're looking for somebody else, him, 
if you really want to throw a dart, a guy who actually was thought to be a major project, and he probably still is, but he's on a bad team, is probably going to get a lot of, of minutes. Bilal Koulibaly of Washington is like 101. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but like if you want something really off the wall, that's a guy that will probably get more minutes than that than those odds would probably indicate. Hmm. That's a really, really interesting one. Um, you know, that's that's like it, it's going to be Wemby. He's a seven foot four dude that just nutmegged decent defender and Reggie Bullock. I mean, come on, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm very much with you there that it's going to be him as well. Um, in fact, that's actually not my favorite bet on Wemby Yama this year. I like him at 20 to one to win defensive player of the year, because you know that as he works into pop system, and the fact you mentioned he's going to be playing the four, not so much as the uh, five. Um, they're going to move him around. They're going to get advantageous matchups. I think they're going to let him figure out how to play offensively. But so much of it is going to be get comfortable on the floor, find yourself in great spots. And because he's so smart defensively, his awareness is incredible. I don't mind him at 20 to one to win defensive player of the year. I think the one that I like better and forgive me for not remembering the odds off the top of my head to lead the league in blocks would be an interesting number for him. I want to say it was around seven to nine to one was where I saw it. But if you just think about the, the play that happened against J dub Jalen wing, Jalen Williams of Oklahoma city, where he crossed over Wembenyama. Wembenyama's back was to him as he was essentially at the elbow and somehow still recovered for the block. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I don't like he's changing the physics of the game and the geometry of the game as we know it. So I think he's going to get, he's going to play plenty. Like I actually, I'm not as worried about them resting him or limiting his minutes as, as some. And the thing that worries me about defensive player of the year is how consistently that person has come from a top two or three defense. I want to say the last player to win defensive player of the year that was not on a top three defense was Marcus Camby. Wow. That's a good call. So that's one where I just think it comes or Tyson Chandler. It was one of those guys. Either way, it's going to come from a top two or three defense. So while I think they will get there when the Spurs get a little more talent around him, and even though I like guys like Devin Vassell a little bit and Jeremy Sohan, but I just don't think they're going to be there year one enough to where Wembenyama is going to win at year one, but people are going to be itching to bet him in like year two, year three. Let's talk about six man of the year. Um, Cause it's a pretty intriguing list. And what's nice about this is that it feels very wide open this year. Um, over at DraftKings, Malcolm Brogdon, Manuel Quickly, both at eight to one to win. Norman Powell at ten to one. Derek White at twelve. Malik Monk is on there as well. Um, everyone's favorite, Bobby Portis at fifteen to one. Um, it's jarring a little bit to see Chris Paul on this list at twenty to one. Um, but the but the guy that um, I I have some intrigue with is Buddy Heald at thirty to one because it kind of feels like right now in Indiana, he's kind of on the outs for that starting lineup because I think they want to bring in and work with Matherin. And you have Heald who put up really good numbers. And especially with having Albert in there to, you know, move things along. 
But also, if he's playing on that second unit and then still being able to play some key fourth quarter minutes, Buddy Heald hasn't found a shot that he doesn't like. And if those numbers stay where they are, I think he's going to get some some real run at a war that I, I think he can win at, at very good odds. He has the t- type of game that profiles for this. The things that worry me, this award generally goes to a team that wins a good amount. It doesn't seem like it should necessarily, but it generally does to like a top six seed. Could Indiana be that? Sure. The other thing that worries me is how does that line up gel if it's Bruce Brown starting at the three versus Buddy to start? And how quick would they be willing to pull the trigger to put Buddy back in the starting lineup if there's not enough juice with that first unit? So, Or with Matherin, because... Those three guys all have experience coming off the bench. And actually, I think Buddy has the least amount of experience of those three coming off the bench. And then the other thing is, does he get traded? Because there was that that uh, line of thinking of didn't get an extension done. Maybe they'll look to move him. So is he the type of guy that if you told me he's on the bench for Indiana all season? Yes. I, I love that number. Well, there's plenty of factors in play. It's, it's yeah, more but, uh, scenario. It's baked into the number. So, so that's fair. Now there's, there's a couple that I like for this and and Bobby Portis. I think this might be as viable just because of how much shorter that bench is in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to help. And then there's going to be nights where Brooke gets rested. So he's going to get some starting opportunities and maybe some chances to boost those numbers. I know that was something that was held against Emmanuel quickly a little bit last year down the stretch, which I thought was a little odd, but whatever. My favorite long shot is... And we're going back to the Grizzlies. Luke Kennard at 80, I, I saw 80 to 1. He's a guy that, the thing that worries me, he's not going to create his own shot very often. He can drive a little bit, run a pick and roll. But when you think about the Memphis Grizzlies roster, especially who are going to be the guys on the second unit, it's a lot of defensive dudes. So they need someone to space the floor. They need someone to get up shots. And especially early in the year without John Morant, when probably Marcus Smart's in the starting lineup and you have some some different lineups out there relying more on their depth, I think he's someone that can put up the amount of uh, usage that they need and that also is going to be viewed in a narrative way of having a big important role. And he might even close some games for them if, let's say, Marcus Smart's having a bad game or especially early in the year with Ja out. Maybe he's coming off the bench, but he's going to close in those first 25 games, and then it's on a game-to-game basis after that. I think Luke Kennard has plenty of plenty more runway to be in the mix for this than that number would allow. Hmm. Kennard is a really interesting play. The other guy that has similar odds to him at, right now at DraftKings, it is 50-1, to 1, is former Jayhawk Christian Brown, who really started to come into his own during the postseason run for the Nuggets. There's a lot of tired legs coming into the season for Denver. And given what we know about the way that that Mike Ballone will use a lot of his rotations, like clearly somebody like Christian Brown got a lot of trust in meaningful games and meaningful moments. And Denver, we've always talked about some of their splits with and without Nikola Jokic on the court. Obviously different positions, but the scoring has to come from somewhere, and especially when Jokic is off the floor. With Murray's injury history, with some of those concerns as well, I think he's an intriguing option also at 50 to one, knowing that they're basically going to let him off the leash this year. The one thing that I wonder about is, is he going to put up enough counting stats? 
because will, will he score enough? Because even though we're not getting like Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams winning necessarily, like Brogdon was about the least six manny guy to win six man in a while. I think there is at least some barrier of entry. So that's probably where I worry a little bit about Christian Brown, but he is going to have plenty of opportunity to do stuff because I, I do think, and I'm sure Calvin Booth would agree with this with his comments this week, uh, Michael Porter Jr. is probably going to be getting some shots up on that second unit. Yeah, and another guy was going to to Kansas City. Yeah, like that's going to be another guy that he, will his usage on that second unit take away from what Braun, from what Brown can do and then Brown's going to be relied more defensively so how much effort is he going to have left to be that dude offensively as well to still be able to put up 15 plus points a game all right so in just a second I'm going to give Rick's take on some of the remaining awards that are on the board um we've gone through defensive player we've gone through six man of the year um I'm going to give my my wild and crazy take on uh, 161 bet that I have for most improved player as well as MVP. But I should mention that, of course, here on the show, um, we've had a great opportunity to get ready for the start of the season. You've been hearing our odds all throughout it, and it's from the great folks over at DraftKings. And as Rick said in the beginning of the show, the wait is over. We finally have some basketball back in DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the NBA is celebrating the opening of the start of the NBA season with a fantastic, unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets just for throwing down 5 bucks on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub in your DraftKings account. And also with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at even bigger basketball wins. You can string together multiple bets from the same game. You can check out Rick's props. You can put them all together for a big payday at the end and it makes your payday even sweeter. Basketball is just more fun, you guys, when you are in on the action. So here's what you do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code KCSN. And remember, if you are a new customer, you can get $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting $5 on the NBA, only on DraftKings Sportsbook by using the code KCSN. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibility. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensed partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after they are issued. Very specific number. Remember that. See sportsbook.fkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Okay, I've teased it enough, Rick. Let, let's get to the, the wild and crazy play. Um, Again, this is one of those where you kind of have to shop around a little bit, find the right boost. Uh, and a lot of these sports, including DraftKings, have some of these preseason boosts for some of these upcoming NBA bets. I bet Kobe, I bet Kobe White at 160 to 1. To win most improved player. I knew it. I knew that's what it was going to be. <laughs> so listen, a lot of things have to go right. But when you have those type of odds, there's a reason for it. And as somebody who really started to put a lot of pieces together, who plays for a team where the point guard position is so valuable to the success of really the entire team collectively. I mean, you 
you heard what Lonzo Ball said in that interview that they built this team around his skill set, and we're starting to see more of a Kobe White that's going to try to play in kind of a similar manner as Lonzo. He can make the corner three. He's got great speed. His vision is starting to improve. The, the passing still needs to, to really put back where he needs to be, but like I think the talent is there, and if you're talking about someone that can make a pretty substantial leap as a most improved player, he's going to get the run to be able to do so, and I think the odds indicate a serious amount of value. So tell me if I'm nuts. I don't think you're completely nuts. I, th- I think at that number, it's a little it's a little long. The thing is, the profile of a most improved winner has changed over the last like decade. Yeah, to where it's gone from guy who maybe like Kobe White, like maybe sixth man to legitimate real starter that makes a difference on his team to guy who was already a good starter on his team and is now an all-star like eight I believe it's eight of the last 10 uh most improved winners have made the all-star team for the first time in that year so obviously that'd be a little bit of a struggle for Kobe White to get to all-star level for sure unless the Bulls were having a hell of a year which I'm not necessarily expecting yeah I don't do that either yeah, one of the teams that has like maybe the narrowest win bands in the entire league. However, like if one of the t- if DeRozan or Levine gets hurt, then there's all the runway in the world for him to be 20 plus points a game. So, if that's possible, if you say, "Hey, the Bulls were one of the healthiest teams last year and maybe some regression is coming their way," with may if you want to tell yourself a story of, "Hey, Zach Levine has a history of some injuries," He played plenty of games last year. Maybe that regresses some. Then maybe you could tell yourself that story. I, I've thought about it because he has looked a lot better. I haven't been able to bring myself to pull the trigger quite yet, but I do. I, I get it. I get where you're coming from with it, and I, I do not hate it. Okay. All right. That's that's all I can ask for is that it's not a you're an idiot. It's with those odds, I get where you're coming from. It's sort yeah. of like the next tier down from your your complete imbecile. So, so who do you like on this list? And and by the way, you know, a, a guy that I thought deserved it, and and someone that I took, I think at hundred to one last year, and I was surprised that he really wasn't involved in the conversation. Obviously, Laurie deserved it, uh, Laurie Markkinen over in Utah, but De'Aaron Fox certainly, in my opinion, felt like he deserved to be on that list given his noticeable improvement and he was an afterthought in the Nets. Yeah. I wonder if there was just too much thought of he's already good enough. He's already really good. Yeah. Yeah. So he was kind of in that, in that weird area. Uh, a couple guys that I like have actually had, people must have the same thought process as me because their, their odds have dropped at DraftKings recently. Franz Wagner in Orlando and Desmond Bain of Memphis. So for Desmond Bain, the bear the bar's pretty high for what he does already, but without Ja, he's going to be the engine of that offense. Jaron Jackson's going to be obviously a big part of it as well, and Marcus Smart setting them up. But Desmond Bain's going to probably be the number one dude, especially down the stretch uh, for those first 25 games. And then as Ja is reintegrating himself, and with all the like negative Ja thoughts out there right now, they're going to want to benefit Bain in that regard, or just someone else and give credit to someone else on that team. So I think he's an option. I think Orlando could be like, not great, but they're a team that was out of the, not even in the play in that I think absolutely could be in the play in this year. Um, You know, you have 
So a lot of young guys on that team, they just need like a guard to really settle things down. Like if Markel Fultz could get more comfortable in the half court as a facilitator, that's really going to help out Franz, who's going to do a lot of playmaking, as well as Paolo Bancaro. And another thing to keep in mind for people when you're trying to like narrow the list down, two groups of people that one has never won this award and two very rarely ever wins the award. Number one overall pick has never won most improved player. And Ja won as a as a number two overall pick. And there was kind of a lot of crap about it afterwards. So really top two picks are more or less out unless it's a situation like Brandon Ingram where he switched teams and there was a whole lot of other stuff that went on. So when you look at the odds board, take out second year players, take out number one picks, and it really starts to narrow it down a decent amount. The one that could be a runaway for this, it just depends on how people perceive him, is Tyrese Maxey. If James Harden doesn't play or gets traded and Maxey is just running things with Joel Embiid and he's as good as a lot of people think he can be at, you know, whatever number it is right now, I know it's double digits for him. Uh, I'm seeing it at 10 to 1 at DraftKings. Okay. Uh, Then he could absolutely run away with this if if, if he's deemed to still be able to boost those numbers enough, which would be like adding four or five points a game is generally what it takes. Maybe a little bit of boost to the assists, which you would think he would get. Maybe not rebounds as much, but if he's able to shoot at a decent percentage as well and lead that to being a team that, even without James Harden, stays within the top four, that's a great narrative play as well. All right, one more award to get to, and then we'll go rapid fire with uh, some picks out of the East, West, NBA Finals champion. Uh, May have some fun a little bit with uh, this tournament in Las Vegas as well. There's actually another award for clutch player. Uh, we want to throw a little bit, a couple coins on that. We can certainly do so as well. Um, I, I saw a great article from uh, from Brandon Anderson talking about sort of how you narrow down the the MVP list, and, and he landed on a couple guys that I certainly am intrigued by. Um, one a little bit more so than the other. Um, Nikola Jokic remains at the top of the list, um, and part of the reason that you know uh, and. It's just it, everything about what what Jokic can do from a statistical and advanced metric category is almost certainly going to win. And then you have Luka Doncic, five to one, where he was, I believe, the last few years the preseason favorite, and then with Dallas kind of falling out of the mix, him missing some time that sort of took him out. You have Embiid, Giannis, and then there's Jason Tatum, who doesn't really miss time playing for arguably the best team in the NBA with a ton of depth. And then after that, it's Durant and Curry, and then there's Shea Gilgis-Alexander, which I think for the most common NBA fans, they'd probably be a bit surprised to see him this high on the list. But him and Tatum, I agreed with Brandon in his assessment. I think those guys, based off the value, based off the numbers, based on the amount of time they're going to play, um, those set up very well as as MVP candidates. So tell me who you're on, who you're considering, and if there's anybody that I haven't mentioned that we should be considering. I think those are the most logical names because it does feel like this is where we stray from the top three that it's been for a long time now of Embiid, Giannis, and Jokic. Uh, SGA, I love. I also just love his game. Uh, I I thought Devin Booker early, but considering everything that's there in Phoenix, 
I think he would be most likely to win it. So the fact that generally Durant has shorter odds, I think is wrong, but I just don't know what they would have to do for him to win. Uh, Anthony Edwards, it just feels like it's a year early, probably, because mm. he hasn't gotten votes before. The other thing with SGA, he was fifth in voting last year. Getting votes previously is a big deal. Sure. So outside of SGA and Tatum, which I think are the logical picks ahead of time, if I was to bet anybody else, man, I'm still, I was much higher on Cleveland's. I, I, I was, I have a, a bet on Cleveland to win the division, but that was from pre-Dame trade. Mm. Donovan Mitchell would make a whole lot of sense to me because if they're going to be great, it's going to be likely with him as the engine of that team. So when you look at him and he's 25 to one over on DraftKings, like I do like that, you know, feel free to shop around whatever, but like there, that's, that's a guy that if I, if I want to take a preseason bet on any of these awards preseason, I'm, I'm going to try and build positions throughout the year. Uh, you know, if you're someone that wants to just bet once and kind of set it and forget it, then probably don't do the same strategy I do. Where preseason, I'm looking for longer odds and finding value as the season goes along. And if I lose a little bit of value, almost like we spoke about earlier with like weather in the NFL games on a game to game basis, if there's guys that I just want to see what it looks like first, I'm willing to sacrifice some of the value for that. But I'm looking at longer shots on these awards early. So a guy like Mitchell. Uh, some of the earlier odds on a guy like SGA are the types of things that I'm looking at. Tatum started at an okay number, but those seem to have shortened. Yeah, he's getting pretty low at this point. At that point, I'm probably just not going to touch it, at least for now. Who's going out of the East? I guess Boston. Yeah, that's where I, I mean, Man, it's just trusting all that health and then Cam the Jays, like Drew Holiday helps a ton, whether he's starting or coming off the bench. Like I, I think I wouldn't touch Derek White or Drew Holiday for sixth man because I think they're gonna be interchangeable. I agree. I think I think Holiday's gonna be rested a decent amount too, just because they have they're gonna have the luxury to do it. But they are the best team on paper. It's just hold your breath with Porzingis. Because if you lose Porzingis, you've lost a lot of depth, and that team gets pretty questionable real quick. And, you know, Jalen Brown has his limitations, also known as going left. So <laughs> it's like, there's a lot that, that's good about this team, but they're not as deep. And they have flexibility in how they can play, but I still worry about them a little bit. But considering what the Eastern Conference is, it feels like it has to be either them or, or Milwaukee. I think that it, it is still going to come down to both of those teams unless someone else proves otherwise. I, You know, the Southeast, I think there's value to be had in the Southeast just because I don't think any of the teams are that great. So I think it really comes down to those two teams. And, I, you know, Philly's got to get their stuff together. Cleveland has to, has to have a much better playoff performance than they showed. I think they could be a much better regular season team than playoff team. But I really think it comes down to those two. And as of now, I'd have to say Boston. Okay. And so who are they playing in the finals and uh, who takes it home? I I don't know how to feel at this point about Denver the second year. Denver is the best starting five in the league. I don't think there's any question about it. It's a whole lot of questions on that bench, but they are going to be playing much more for the playoffs. 
I would love for it to be one of these long shots like Memphis or like Minnesota. I think it's still going to be Denver. I think Denver's really freaking good. And even though Jokic doesn't care as much about basketball as we'd probably like, I still think it's going to come down to, it's very chalky right now, Boston, Denver. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Denver. Screw it. I've been, I've been a, a Denver honk for a couple of years now. I had Jokic 40 to one to an MVP the first year he did it. And I've been on the bandwagon ever since. So I might as well stick with it. They have the best starting five. And if Christian Brown can continue his progress and find one other dude off the bench, that's a team that can win another title. That would be fun. And listen, Denver, to their credit, has been immensely fun to watch for a long time. And regardless of whether or not Jokic is going to be that guy, who cares as far as I'm concerned? Um, Rick, this is great stuff. Do you have a play on uh, on opening night that uh, that you're into as well? I ha- I'll be honest. I haven't even looked at opening night yet. I'm still working my way through futures. Can I give you, can I rapid fire you on a couple things? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I love Memphis more wins than Golden State at plus 135 on DraftKings. That one's fascinating to me. I, I really like that. Uh, teams to be in the play-in. Miami. I am not as high on Miami as a lot of people are. I think they'll be in the play-in, but I don't know necessarily about the top six, which leads me to, if you want to play Atlanta or Orlando to win that division, uh, you know, it's around two to one last I saw for Atlanta. And if you, you could say, hey, Quinn Snyder gets a full year to run his stuff, put his stuff in. He's a real good regular season coach. I think there's there's value on them. Now that, you know, I don't think John Collins was as much of a negative as a lot of people think, but if they're able to simplify their rotations a little bit now and give the right people more more time and get more spacing on the floor, I think that can definitely help a lot. But I wouldn't rule out Orlando if they can get a top of, like, if Franz Wagner win, gives in a most improved level play, Paolo takes a step forward, and just you get a little bit of progression. If, if you get, like, 30th percent outcome from Miami and maybe like 45th from Atlanta, but you get like 80th or higher from Orlando. I think there's more value on them than the number shows. I've, I've been on them for quite a while. So that's just another one. Um, and then a couple that I love that DraftKings has for all rookie first team. Derek Lively might start in Dallas. He's at plus 1,300 last that I checked on DraftKings. I think that's a fascinating one. I don't know that he's going to put up enough counting stats. And then, like I mentioned before, a guy that's going to put up a lot of numbers probably, maybe not a lot of numbers because Jordan Bull's going to shoot a ton, but probably get a good amount of minutes is Bilal Koulibaly. And considering he's on a terrible team, he could get a lot of minutes, and he's at 20-1 to to be on first-team all-rookie. I think that one's fascinating. These are all, of course, just like we're taking some shots before the season starts. And then along the lines with some things that I've said earlier, Chris Finch plus 2,800 on DraftKings for coach of the year. I really like that one too. If Minnesota is going to be a real good team because he's going to get credit for the awkward matchup or the awkward fit that the front office put together of Towns and Gobert and then having some guys that don't shoot the ball as well. So his coaching ability to get those guys, whether it's true or not, that's what the narrative is going to be. And I think he has a lot of respect around the league as a tactician to where I could see him 
if Minnesota is, let's say, a top four seed, I could see him getting a ton of coach of the year buzz. Love it. I think some of these takes have been so good. They've been so white hot, Rick, that it destroyed my camera to the point where I'm not entirely sure over the last few minutes why it's gone off um, or even how to fix it because I don't know. But either way, I feel incredibly more informed and uh, I now have a nice little profile that I can dive into the start of the season with. Uh, Remind everybody where they can follow you, where they can check out all of your work over the course of this season. Follow me on Twitter slash X slash whatever and really any social media platform at Rick C. Camp. Uh, I'm going to be writing for NBA Bet, doing sides and totals there a couple days a week. Probably some work over at 4 for 4 with player props. And I might be doing something on my own as well. I'm, I'm still workshopping a few things that I want to do. So just follow me on social media. I'll be updating a bunch of stuff there. I'll be, you know, reacting to games live. and Because who knows what I'm going to be watching. Because there's so many interesting teams. I'm going to be trying to consume as much Spurs basketball as I can just because Victor Wambanyama is insane. Like, there's so many fun teams. An- oh, another one that I th- that I thought of uh, last minute here, in-season tournaments early in the year. So maybe teams that generally can't stay healthy are still healthy and they care more about this thing. Boy, Zion Williamson seems like a guy where if the Pelicans are any sort of healthy, they could, they could have the upside to win their group and maybe win the in-season tournament. And if they're good enough to win the in-season tournament, Zion's going to win that MVP. Mm. So I know the odds vary on that at this moment, but that's something that I find incredibly fascinating to try and and figure out what the angle is for that. So for anything involving the in-season tournament. So, you know, you can see, I see a 50 to one in the market. That would be really interesting for a guy that is a top 10 offensive player when he's healthy. So I know that's a lot. I'm throwing a lot at everybody. I've been wanting to get some of these takes off. (laughs) Uh, I'm just happy you gave me the platform. So thank you for having me. I I think our listeners and our our viewers will be happy as well. Rick, you're the best. Thanks for making time with us, uh, not just for uh, week seven in the NFL, uh, but also to start off the season. Uh, Good luck with all your bets. Good luck with everything that you're continuing to do, continued success, and uh, we will do this again soon. Uh, Sounds good. Anytime. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.